This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. So good afternoon and welcome to Tax Tuesday. My name is Toby Mathis, joined by... Elliot Thomas, Manager of the Tax Advisors here at Anderson. Woo! Happy 2023. So we made it through another year. So we should all give ourselves a hand. Yep. <laughs> No, no, we just want like, <laughs> let's put 2022 in the, in the, in the rear view mirror. The only good thing about uh, 2022 is it wasn't 2020 and 2019. Mm, exactly. 2021, let's just throw them all in. And, and 100% bonus depreciation, that was good. But That was very good. Yeah. And it's gone. In case you're wondering, where's my bonus depreciation? You get 80% of it now. So you get 80% of the pizza. You can't eat the whole thing. All right, let's see who's rolling around out there. So uh, rules for the road. Ask your questions via the Q&A. There's actually a whole team on. I see Patty, Andrew, Matthew, Troy, Jared. I know that Pio's on. I know that Ian's on. I know that Dana's on. There's like so many people on here. Let me see if I can make sure Dutch is on. Jeez Louise, we got the whole team. So you have a whole bunch of tax professionals that are here to answer your questions. And you can just go into the Q&A and put in a question. If you want to respond to me and Elliot, on a quick question, like, here's an easy one. What city and state are you sitting in? <laughs> and uh, there you go. There's Anacortes. I always see Don from Anacortes. That's where my mom lives, right? So we have a whole bunch of people from Boise, Idaho, Los Angeles, California. Look at that. Uh, Stamford, Connecticut, Scottsdale, Concord, Vancouver, Washington, Linwood, Washington. Uh, let's see, we have a lot of people. Now they're flying through Atlanta, Sagal, Idaho. Turner, Oregon, Las Vegas, Faith, yep, you're right, uh, Jupiter, Madison, Alabama, Tampa, Newark, San Diego, Black Mountain, North Carolina, Hawaii, we always get some, uh, some of our family over in Hawaii, Aloha. All right, guys, you're, you're supposed to be putting that one in chat, like put where you're at in chat, and uh, Q&A is where you put all your big questions, so we'll get all that fun stuff. If you have questions during the weeks in between these, since we do these every other Tuesday, feel free to send it in via uh, Tax Tuesday at Anderson Advisors. We do answer your questions. We get hundreds of questions in every week, and uh, we try to make sure that we get you guys some quick responses. If you have, uh, there's been a snow, I saw some of that snow coming down Chris uh, was looking out to the, behind her on a video earlier today, and yeah. it was like it was just dumping. So you guys are definitely getting getting hit. But anyway, if you have a very detailed question on your situation, you do need to become a platinum client. It's actually pretty simple, thirty five bucks a month. It's easy. But otherwise, just ask questions. Uh, this is supposed to be fast and fun and a little bit humorous. We try to take the edge off of taxes. If they kick uh, 87,000 agents at us, we might not want to take that edge off. We might want to leave it on. No, there's not 87,000 agents. Do not worry. That is propaganda. It's uh, They're trying to replace some of their staff. But man, they have been losing people. The IRS has been losing people for the last, what is it, 12, 13 years now. So they're going to have to stem that flow and make sure that they have enough people to do their jobs. I was talking to an agent the other day for a client and they, um, she made the comment that it'd probably be three years until some of these new people would even be up to some of the yep. spots that they're being hired for. So we've got a long road ahead of us. Yep. 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 yep, yep. Tough. Tough. 
All right, guys. So let's dive in. These are the opening questions. We'll go over these today, uh, answer all these questions. Uh, so I'm just going to go over them now. So don't yell at me and say, what's the answer? Because we're just going to go through these. So today we're going to go over, hey, I'm looking to start a new business and I need to choose the correct business entity in order to maximize my tax benefits. So I need to know if starting the business as an LLC and potentially working the business out of my home would be the best option for me. Good question. We'll answer that. Can I write off my stock holding loss at the end of the year to reduce my W-2 earnings? That's why we brought Elliot because he knows all these <laughs> answers. What are the rules for HSAs for people over 62? Great question. And we'll be answering that. I became a real estate professional in 2021, probably under 469, which means they're, they're, they're taking passive and turning it into active or ordinary loss uh, and have a significant net operating loss due to depreciation. What are the limitations of carrying the NOL backwards in 2020 and 2019 to use that to lower taxes in previous years? Good question. Hopefully you know the answers to these because <laughs> no idea today, right? If my partnership LLC did not conduct any business this year, do I still need to file a form 1065. I'm in the process of setting up my real estate business. I already have a Wyoming LLC, great choice, as a holding company. And it's treated as a disregarded entity, but I have no investment real estate yet. If I file my taxes this year before I acquire an investment property, what is the process for changing the filing election of the LLC from disregarded to a partnership for the new property? So we'll go over that. Interesting question. And I'm going to dig into that a little bit. I am new to real estate flipping and started my first flip last year. Construction was completed this year and it closed this year. I asked my contractor if I need to complete a W-9 last year and he told me not until the project was complete. Now I'm realizing that I should have had him complete the form in 2021 for the amount I paid him and again this year. Can I now ask him to complete the W-9 and file the form for 2021 and 2022? The other issue is I had issues with this contractor for faulty workmanship he did on the flip and in the process of filing suit. What if he refuses to complete the W-9? Hmm. What forms do I need to fill out for my accountant to show capital loss in the stock market? Good questions. As an owner-operator trucking company designated as an LLC, can you write off 100% of the operating fuel costs? So we have really good questions thus far. I am a lender on a note to an LLC. What are the best practices for collecting payments and tracking interest payments for reporting purposes? Separate bank account for the payments, create an end of the year interest statement for myself. Good question. I attended your Las Vegas event. Please confirm if, we're, if we are to refrain from listing items as entertainment when filing taxes. Interesting way to put it. I'm looking to convert from an LLC S to a C Corp in 2023? Should I stay on a calendar or fiscal year schedule? And what are the pros and cons? So good questions thus far. We'll give everybody an A, asking really good questions. And we'll go through this. Before you do that, if you like getting answers to these types of questions, I will invite you to do something free and easy. And that is go to the YouTube channel, my YouTube channel, which looks like this and subscribe because I put all of our Tax Tuesday questions up, all the recordings of past episodes, we break them into pieces and put them up on the YouTube channel and invite anybody you want to join. It's free. We like to give out lots of information. All right, Elliot, let's jump on our first questions. I'm looking to start a new business and I need to choose the correct business entity in order to maximize my tax benefits. 
So I need to know if starting the business as an LLC and potentially working the business out of my home would be the best option for me. What say you? Great first question for the new year, new business. By all means, you want the LLC for that asset protection, you know, or, or you could go the traditional S or C Corp, but uh, LLC gives you more flexibility. When we make the decisions on if we want S selection or C election or something like that, when we'll go corporate, we're usually kind of looking for the dollar amounts that come in, the profitability. Mm-hmm. I think you could probably be safe without much profit going C corporation. And the question is whether we want to go S, to me at least. And there, you know, a lot of people have different opinions, but I would like to see about maybe $40,000 of income before I go S. There are other considerations though, you know, sometimes depending on the nature of business, you, you just want to be a corporation or uh, the asset protections in your particular state, et cetera. Uh, but the corporations, the S Corp or the C Corporation have those great reimbursements, 288 and things like that. So definitely the LLC, it's just a matter of how do you want that LLC tax? So you just saw Elliot hit a bunch of different areas. I would say we break it into like four little things. We look at lawsuits, we look at taxes, we look at business planning, and we do want to look at our legacy planning too, a little bit. So the first thing you look at is, hey, I'm engaged in an activity. If I'm dealing with third parties, there's liability to me. It's virtually unlimited. So from a liability standpoint, we need to have an entity. From a tax standpoint, we have a whole bunch of choices. Disregarded, S-Corp, C-Corp, we can, we can pick those later. From a business planning standpoint, if you want to be taken seriously, you don't operate as a sole proprietor. You have to have an entity. And from a legacy standpoint, your entity dies with you, or excuse me, your business dies with you if it's not an entity. So if you don't have an LLC or corporation set up, you're done. So you limit yourself. So three out of four of those, we are definitely looking, actually four out of four, realistically, we're looking at an entity some sort. So then it's just deciding which one's best. From a tax standpoint, Elliot just nailed something, which is you're probably going to be in the corporate realm because you get an accountable plan. You can get a whole bunch of deductions that are eligible if you're a, if you're, in, if you are a corporation for tax purposes. Can an LLC be a corporation Absolutely. for tax purposes? Yes. yes. So an LLC file with the state, the IRS goes like this and says, you tell me what it is. Yeah. And you could either make it ignored, which is disregarded. You can make it, it could be a partnership or it could be C-Corp or S-Corp. C-Corps get a little bit better tax treatment from the accountable plan standpoint because they can reimburse 100% of your medical, dental, and vision. S-Corporations get the nod if you're taking all the money out because they do not have double tax and it avoids self-employment tax on about two thirds of the profit. So that's where Elliot's talking about needing to see about thirty dollars or $40,000 before he really looks at the S-Corp because the numbers shift from being a sole proprietorship and not worrying about extra audit rate or you know that type of stuff to, hey, you know what? The expenses that, may be in, that you may have extra with an S-Corp, which they're really kind of identical, but let's just say you have an extra tax return. Right around that $25,000 line, you start saving on average $1,500 a year. So all of a sudden it's like, hey, make sure you have that S election. A couple other fun considerations. If you are going to sell that business and you're going to build up its value and, and sell in five or six years, you may want to be just a corporation because you can qualify for qualified small business stock, which is 100% excluded from capital gains. If you're, I think it's $10 million at a minimum. And goes on up. There's some criteria, but it's called uh, 1244. Uh, what is it? 1202. 1202. And then 
The other route is if you think you're engaging in something where it's going to be expensive and you want to be able to take the loss, you're going to either be a flow-through entity from the get-go, or if you're going to be a C-Corp, you're going to be a proper C-Corp. You're not going to be an LLC taxed as a C-Corp because losses from a C-Corp can be treated as ordinary. So I just threw a whole bunch out at you just to kind of give you the, here's what you're dealing with when you're deciding to plan. And that's why there's really no simple answer to it. There's a lot of different considerations. We can give you rules of thumb. Let's say you're a traditional business, you're going to make $100,000 a year, you need the money. Chances are we're all going to look at you. We're going to say, hey, do you have any extraordinary medical expenses? Or do you have a dependent that has $25,000 a year, anything like that? Because if not, you're probably going to be an S-Corp for tax purposes. And then you just have to decide between whether you want to be an LLC, tax as an S-Corp or a proper S-Corp. But that's generally what people like us are doing when we're analyzing how you're going to be set up. Did I miss? No, that's it. All right. So we look at those four things, lawsuits, taxes, business planning. Hey, I might want to get business credit for the thing. I want it to stand on its own. Maybe I'm looking for investors. And then there's the legacy planning. Hey, I, I want it to live beyond me. LLCs, corps, all those things, they don't die when you die. They just keep on, they become personal property that you can transfer to somebody else and they keep running with your business. So all that fun stuff gets thrown into the mix when we're trying to make that decision. So it was a good open-ended question. Number two, can I write off my stockholding loss at the end of the year, end of the year to reduce my W-2 earnings? Yes, but we're limited potentially just to $3,000 of, of capital loss that will go off, offset against ordinary income, that being your W-2. Uh, doesn't mean that you might not be able to use it for other things against other capital gains, perhaps, but only 3000 can be used against your W-2. So Elliot's giving you guys a very straightforward answer, but there is another one. If you are a stock trader hmm. and you qualify as a trader, in stock, which means you're doing over 750 trades a year. You're spending about 70% of your days, working days, trading, and you make a mark-to-market election, then that can be treated as ordinary loss. Otherwise, what you said is absolutely true. It's capital loss, which capital gains can be offset with capital loss. Other income cannot, except it'll give you up to $3,000 of capital loss against those types of income. So your W-2 income, active ordinary income can be offset up to $3,000 a year with capital loss, and then you carry it forward. So you always meet these people from 2008 that have that that look in their eyes, and they tell you they're still carrying forward $200,000 of loss because somebody exited their position when the market was down. Please don't do that. This is one of the reasons why, because now they're sitting on $200,000 of loss and they get to take $3,000 a year. We just did three with four, but they did three. And we'll do it like the Inglorious Bastards way. We're, $3,000 a year and you just keep carrying it forward. So, you know, if in year five, you make a huge killing in the stock market and you have $200,000 that could loss carry forward and you make 200,000 in the market, they offset, use it all up because you had capital, capital gain. Otherwise you're just using 3,000 a year against your, your W-2. All right. Had to get the glorious bastard reference in there at least once today. <laughs> all right. What are the rules for HSAs for people over 62? First off, what is it? Is an HSA? Uh, health savings account. <laughs> I think it's actually it's not an account, but uh, the days I always get messed up on those, but health savings account, basically 
you can put money into it, get a deduction, or your employer can do on, on behalf of I'm you. Look it it up. Is yeah. it a health savings arrangement? I think it's an arrangement. That's what it is. Yes. They always just call it an HSA. Yeah. They say health savings account. So. It's arrangement. I'm almost sure. Who knows? But it's uh, IRAs are individual retirement arrangements, too. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Everybody calls them IRAs as accounts, but technically, who cares? It's an HSA, so stop it. Yeah, but still a deduction mm-hmm. when you put into it. Uh, the limits change from year to year, uh, but basically they only go up. They, I, I haven't seen them ever drop. Uh, I was just looking for 2023. That amount's going to be 38, dollars mm-hmm. Excuse me if you're single. And I guess it would be $77.50 for a family plan. You do have to have a high deductible plan. And uh, whoever contributes to this gets a deduction. So again, your employer could do it. So if you have one of our C corporations or even uh, it could contribute on your behalf or on behalf of the employees mm-hmm. or you as an individual can put into it. Now, you, so this is a triple th- threat. So number one, it's a separate account. You get a deduction for putting money into mm-hmm. it, like up to the limits that Elliot was just talking about. So if you're over 55, it's up to 48 something yep. for 2023. Last year, what was it? $4,600 or something uh-huh. like that. Mm-hmm. Cause you get an extra thousand bucks if you're over 55, but you get to write that off. And then if the money is used for health expenses, you could be paying anything from co-pays to the ex- directly expense. I think you can even cover some sites of insurance premiums and things like that. It is non-taxable to you. So you never pay tax on any of the growth. And then if it's used for those purposes, uh, you avoid tax entirely. If you're over 65, I think that you can take the money out for any reason and avoid a penalty, but you still pay tax on it when it comes out. So the best thing to do is to use these monies for health expenses and you get a deduction and never have to recognize it as income. All the growth is tax-free. That's why it's a triple threat. You get a deduction, growth is tax-free, and you can use it and uh, you don't have to recognize it as income. Now, if you are on Medicare, you are not eligible for HSA. And I believe that you're taking Social Security, what, 65? So you might have, you're going to run into an issue that the second you start taking Medicare, did I'm saying that right? Yep. I think it's Medicare, that you no longer can make contributions to an HSA in a tax deductible method. You could still have an HSA. You could still use money to even cover the premium, but you can't continue to make tax deductible contributions. I believe that it's that. So if you're on Social Security, you're going to have an issue. You have to be covered by a high deductible plan by an employer. And if you don't qualify, if you're if you're if you're on Medicare, if you're on Social Security, if you don't have a high deductible plan, then you would not qualify. So it's not really 62 is kind of a misnomer. You can still have one, but I think you might be looking at having it for about three years because I don't quote me on it, but I believe that you're required to start receiving those benefits. Kind of like it's it's very much like an IRA, only for medical. Mm-hmm. So if you could kick it off, and I I just don't know. I don't know if you can go beyond. 65. But if you cannot take the the social security benefits, then you could continue to contribute. Somebody says, do HSA's contributions need to be made by December 31st or April 15th? It's April 15th. So you actually have, you could be making 2022. 2022. Yeah. And you can actually be making 2023 now as well. Right. I think one needs to have a high deductible plan working to be able to contribute to an HSA. Yep. That I think I just said that. So if I didn't, you do, you need to be covered by a high deductible plan which means you need to be employed to be covered by high deductible plan. All right, fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're rolling right along. 
I became a real estate professional in 2021 and have significant net operating loss due to depreciation. What are the limitations of carrying the NOL backwards to 2020 and 2019 to use to lower taxes in previous years? Well, we lost the ability to do that back when they came out with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. We saw a little bit of it phase back into our day with the CARES Act uh, from all the COVID legislation. But as of right now, we don't get to carry back NOLs. We just carry them forward. What about for previous years? So let's say that somebody had a loss. I don't think 2020. Could we carry back in 2021? Okay. It was 2020. Yeah. So in 2020, we could. So you might be able to amend and carry back, right? Perhaps you might. Well, you're not going to be able to do anything from 2021 and move right. it back. But if in 2020, if you knew you had losses, you might you might have a play there to go back and amend. Yeah. Hmm. And the fact that we have these losses and now we became a real estate professional in 2021 tells me probably we have some suspended passive losses. Yeah. And here's the deal. When you have a loss and determining whether it's passive or ordinary or non-passive, I guess is the correct term, Mm -hmm. it matters that particular year for that particular loss. So we don't have net operating loss carrybacks right now. But if let's say that you had a loss in 2022 and you were a real estate professional, that just means it's non-passive loss. It d- doesn't matter the following year, the next year, whatever. That loss is locked in as non-passive. It's going to carry forward. It's going to offset. It's going to be subject to the net operating loss limitations. They do a percentage limitation. They do a few things, uh, dollar limitations, et cetera, that, of, of how much you can use going forward. So there are a few little restrictions. But if I'm a real estate professional in one year and I create the loss, it doesn't magically become passive going forward. It doesn't magically become passive being carried back. It is that type of loss for that particular time. So I hope that makes sense. Anything else you want to throw on there? No, I think that's it. Well, if you guys like this type of information and you want to learn more, we do our tax and asset protection workshops a couple of times a month. We have them coming up on January 6th. Look at that, January 6th. One day virtual event. We go over LLCs, corporations, land trusts. Clint does a great job doing the asset protection and explaining how all these things work together, how you can make yourself invisible from a public record standpoint, get your name off your real estate, which is very, very effective for preventing lawsuits, believe it or not. Probably just not letting people know what you have is probably one of the best things you can you can do to avoid being hassled. But that's a virtual event. It's live streamed. We also have one coming up on January 14th. So if you miss January 6th, you can come and join us on January 14th. But absolutely free. Just go to our website, Anderson uh, Anderson Advisors. And I think Patty put the link up there. But if you haven't been through one, you might want to consider it. There's a lot of good information. It breaks it down. Clint's really good at making it understandable. I go over the tax and the legacy planning. And uh, some of that gets a little muddy, but we try to break it into pieces so you can understand it and uh, it'll work great. All right. Another question. If my partnership LLC did not conduct any business this year, do I still need to file a form 1065? What's that? If we really, by any sense of the definition, did not conduct any business, correct. You don't have to file 1065 for that first year. But when we say no business, we mean no business. Not just there wasn't any income and we had expenses. We just want to make sure there wasn't any activity whatsoever, but that's correct. I had no business. I would still file it because you're going to have the expense of filing the state filing fee. Yep. 
And someone argued, depending on your tax preparer, someone would say that the annual filing fee, well, that's what you're just saying. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because so, I, I'm going to have a loss. In other words, you're, you're almost never going to have a partnership that just has zero because there's always an expense for doing it. And then the penalties aren't on the tax amount. So usually, like if I underpay my taxes, I have penalties and interest. When it's a partnership, they penalize you a dollar amount. I forget how much it is per month. What is it per month for non-filing? Uh, 200, I believe, 205, I think, per partner. Yeah, so it's like 200 bucks per partner plus. Per month. Per month that you don't file. Yeah. So just file it, you know. It just it could just it could just be a, here, just take my expenses and, and grab them because it's going to save you money. If your accountant's giving you a hard time, just get a 1065 and write it in and file it yourself. Like, don't make it any more complicated than it has to be. But definitely file your, your your return, even if you didn't really conduct business. It's just when we say did not conduct business, it's rarely what you think, mm-hmm. right? Hey, I didn't do any transactions. Well, was your LLC open and ready to do business? Did it incur any expenses? Because if the answer is yes, then it was doing business. So uh, let's make it easy. File the dang return. Make your life simple. Penalties are huge otherwise. I'm in the process of setting up my real estate business. I already have a Wyoming LLC as the holding company and is treated as a disregarded entity. Remember the whole, can't see the LLC. We have to tell it what it is. We told the IRS on this one, ignore the LLC. It doesn't exist. So it just automatically goes on your return. But I have no investment real estate yet. That's fine. So this is almost like the previous question. If I file my taxes this year before I acquire an investment property, it doesn't matter. If you didn't do any activity last year, that's what we care about. What is the process for changing the filing election of the LLC from disregarded to a partnership for the new property? Well, <laughs> the, the first thing is you have to have another partner. Uh, you have to you, qualify for the partnership if, status. If it's disregarded, it's typically we're talking to one person unless we're in a community property state. So it could be husband and wife in a community property state, but you would need to, really there's not, by the definition of the IRS, if you were an individual and you just added one partner, it automatically is a partnership. You don't have to do anything but file that return, or you could file the form 8832 and declare it as a partnership. All right, so let me interpret what you just said. (laughs) If you really just had a disregarded entity and there was no other owner, then you don't file a tax return. If in the following year you wanna add another owner, and it could be a spouse, it could be a trust, it could be at a corp or whatever, then you would file a tax form called an 8832 to change it from disregarded to partnership. Or some do, do some accountants just start filing a partnership return? You could just, uh, my understanding, you can just file that because yeah. by definition, it already is a partnership. Right. So there, there's certain things where we make elections and we have to make the election to treat it. It's like if I want to be an S corp, I have to make the S election. I have to make an election to be treated as a corp. But the defaults are, hey, if it's two or more people, so like if Elliot and I started an LLC, by default, it's a partnership. We call it a disregarded entity all we want. The IRS says it's not what it is. It's a partnership because it's the default, yep. two people. It's either going to be partnership or a corp. And we didn't make a corporate election, so you're a partnership. If it's just Elliot and it's just Elliot and he's waiting to do business and he says he might bring me in as a partner. So for year one, it's just him. It's a disregarded entity. It just goes on to his tax return on Schedule E. If the following year we do a project together and we own a property together through that LLC, now we're a partnership. And it doesn't even matter what we say. It's a partnership. I'm filing a partnership return because it's two or more people. That's the default. So it might be wise to possibly do an 8832 if, if, if you want to make sure that the other 
the party is um, on notice. Uh, yeah, somehow listed or whatnot. But otherwise, you just would do it on the when it comes tax time. And somebody says, "What is a disregarded entity?" A disregarded entity means the IRS ignores it. I have an LLC. It does not file a tax return. It looks to me. So like if I am a plumber, I do Toby's plumbing and I set up an LLC, Toby's plumbing LLC, and it's just me, then that's a sole proprietorship. I'm going to file a schedule C on my 1040. I don't have to file a separate tax return. It's going to go on my 1040, but it's sole proprietorship. Problem with sole proprietorships is they get audited anywhere from 800 to 1600% more often than their corporate counterparts. And they lose those audits 94 to 95% of the time for that precise reason, because people go, oh, I'm an entity. Therefore, I don't have to do anything. And the IRS says, no, you got to keep track of each expense, what it was for, who, what, why, when, and where, all that fun stuff. You got to have books and records and all this. And, you know, sole proprietors never do it. Why? Because they get told they didn't have to. Their account's pretty bad at saying, hey, you don't have to do anything with the sole proprietorship. That's not true. They have to keep the same records that a corporation keeps. It's the same identical books and records, period. There is no exception to being a sole proprietorship. It's just easy for tax filing. It just automatically goes onto your return. And I think you've talked about in the past, even, even though they get audited more, they lose more, but they typically, statistically, you have to pay more. They yeah, you get they lose yeah. more in the audit. That's, that's a triple threat. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You tend to get messed with more. You also don't get the same amount of deductions. If I am a sole proprietorship, use my phone, right? Da, 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 da. I have to track between business use and personal use. If I am a corporation, and let's say I work for uh, for Elliot here, he's a corporation, Elliot Inc. And he says, Toby, if you use your phone for my benefit, I'm just going to pay the whole bill. He can do that. But I only used it 10% of the time for business. Doesn't matter. He can reimburse 100%. Sole proprietorship, you're only getting a partial write-off. So treated very, very differently. All right. Fun stuff. Look at this long question. <laughs> I am new to real estate flipping and started my first flip last year. Construction was completed this year and it closed this year. So what is last year and this year? So last year must be 2021 and this year must be 2022. I asked my contractor if I needed him to complete a W-9 and he said, no, nah, not until it's complete. Your contractors do things like that. I can't imagine. Yeah. No, here's the deal. A W-9 is just getting somebody's tax status and their, and their tax identification number. So that's what you're trying to do is say, hey, I don't have to withhold for you because you are a separate business. So a W-9 is what you give when it's a contractor. If that contractor is an S-Corp or a C-Corp, you do not need to 1099 them. Right. If they are an, uh, anything else, you get that W-9 so you can 1099, send them a form in January. Like right now, you'd be sending them a form for what you paid them, saying to the IRS, I didn't withhold. They're a contractor. Make sure you look to them for that income when it takes it off of your plate. So setting the table with that. Now I am realizing that I should have had him complete the form in 2021 for the amount I paid him. And again, this year, now I can ask him to complete the W-9 now and file the form for 2021 and 2022. The other issues I had, let, let's, let's deal with the other issues first. Can he do that? Can he get the W-9 now? I mean, it's a little bit late, but you could get it for your own files because it's only an informational thing for your personal records. I used to be in this position at a, uh, at a big company, well, not a big company, but a company, and we had 700 vendors. 
every year we had to get them. And if I didn't have them in there, I, I would go back and see if they would kindly sign it from a previous year. But it, mm-hmm. it is, it's just your get out of jail free card with the IRS. If something goes awry. If you didn't have that W nine, when you paid them, they could say you, you were required to withhold the exceptions again, is if you don't have to 1099 them because they're a C corp or an S corp or an LLC tax as an S or a C corp. So if you're dealing with a contractor who's organized as a business, chances are you still want that W-9 to prove that they're a business. But if you don't have it, it's kind of like the thing that would cause you to have to have it isn't filed. Here's what does happen. And I'm literally in the middle of this right now. If you 1099 somebody without their social security number or without their tax ID, you have to withhold. So what some people will do is they'll send to the contractor a 1099, but they won't have the tax ID. The IRS is going to say you needed to withhold. It's like 28% plus penalties. You're going to end up getting hit hard. And then when you say, but wait, it was a contractor. They're going to say you filed a 1099 without a social security number. You were required to have that W-9 before you filed, before you paid them. Did you have that? Because if not, we're going to hit you with the withholding. Like you put, you actually cut your own throat in that situation. So here's what you do. Hey, I haven't done it. If he's a business don't give them anything. If they are willing to do the W-9, you can get the tax ID from them. Even if you can call them up and get it, just get it. File your late 1099 for last year and then this year. You might have a little bit of, what are the penalties for filing a late 1099? It's like 50 bucks, I think. It's not huge. Yeah. And pay it. Say, all right, I learned my lesson. I should have had that W-9 and pay it and just be done. If, if they're a corp, don't worry about it at all. If they're not a corp, if it's just some guy, Elliot, you know, the contractor. So that's number one. You can go back and get it. We're in the midst of that on something from, from three years ago. The issue is if I had issues with the contractor and he said, let's talk about the faulty workmanship. So you're in the process of of filing suit. What if he refuses to complete the W-9? While there isn't, you know, a a gun to your head law that says you have to fill out a W-9, you pretty much, there's never a good reason not to fill out a W-9 if you're a vendor. Um, when asked, I suppose you could compel them to, you could probably go to court and say, Hey, if you're already in a lawsuit, I would, and, and, and if you're suing him, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to be on the judge's bad side. So I'm doing everything I can to look like a good citizen. So I'm filling out that W9 upon request. Yeah. You're just saying, Hey, we want the tax. We want to, to enforce his cooperation on tax matters. Mm-hmm. And then they could hold him in contempt if he doesn't. That's the relief you're seeking from the court. I've never actually seeing that have to happen. Most people are decent. Sometimes they disappear. So I'll tell you another real story. Uh, it was probably, I want to say 10, 15 years ago, we were one of the random payroll audits with uh, <laughs> one of the entities down here. Remember uh, Steve Colt and Sarah Winters had to deal with that. And what they did is they just 50,000 companies nationwide. They would go through every one of your W-2s, W-4s, W-9s. They would go through everything. So for a week, we had an agent out there. And at the end of the day, there was two taxpayers. One was Seth Grable. He was a magician. He was on America's Got Talent. And we had hired him for a Christmas party. And <laughs> like a good magician, he disappeared when we tried to get the W-9 from him. We just It was 2500 bucks for a Christmas party. And we didn't have his... We were like, hey, Seth, could you sign this? Sure. And we'd send him the form. It would disappear. <laughs> He's really good. Yeah. And then the other one was a landscaping company, which we had paid like a couple grand to that had got since gone bankrupt. And we couldn't prove to the IRS's satisfaction that it was a corporation. So I think we wrote a check for 700 bucks and called it a day, but it was thousands of forms that they went through. So I can just tell you from experience, 
get that W-9 or you might end up paying the withholding on it. And we so. can see why they need another 87,000 agents. <laughs> yes. They really, oh my God, that guy was so <laughs> much fun. Like you had to, it was a caricature from the IRS. He came in in his black pants and his short sleeved white shirt. I was like, is that your uniform? <laughs> I was not allowed to talk to the IRS guy from that point <laughs> forward. He did not think it was funny. Um, Anyway, what forms do I need to fill out for my accountant to show capital loss on the stock market? Yeah, somebody says, always get the W-9 before you issue any money to a contractor. That usually helps them fill out the W-9. Yeah. Robin is 100% right. Before you pay is much easier than after you pay because you have no juice. Before they start working too. Yeah, get them to do it. To say, hey, I need this for my records before you start or before I pay you. I'm Definitely get this. Before yeah, before you pay for sure. All right. So how about this? What forms do I need to fill out for my accountant to show capital loss in the stock market? Well, usually you're going to get a 1099B from your brokerage house and they can just use that. And that's really all you need. But the the key, what's what's going on those information wise is that it has the date you bought the stock, the price. And then of course, when you sold it, the date you sold it. So we know how long it was, uh, the type of stock. And that is what the, the accountant will use to determine the taxes on it. See, I don't even think you need a form, right? Uh, you just yeah, need to have some record of it. Mm -hmm. And your brokerage accounts now have to report your transactions. So the, again, you're going to have, what, what is it? A 1099B or yep, something like big, that. Big, thick thing that comes out. Yep. yep. So, and then if you if your accountant needs the backup of spreadsheets, fine. Usually you have the tax forms now. Yeah, that's all you really need. Yep. So it's nothing magic. You don't have to do anything special. It just shows up as a capital loss and you're offsetting your capital gains. So sometimes you have more capital loss than you have gain, in which case you use up to 3000 against your other income and carry the rest forward. Or if you use it all up, say lobby, you're good. All right. As an owner operator of a trucking company designated as an LLC, can you write off 100% of the operating fuel costs? Elliot. If we used it 100% for business, that is the, the the truck that was burning that fuel, if it was used 100% for business, absolutely. Yep. You can always write off. You, here's what you can't do. So if this would be non-personal use vehicle, because it's a big trucking, if it's a, if it's a common carrier, so it's a big truck, you're not using that for personal use. They're not going to, it's going to be 100% business use. You can't even write off mileage under that circumstance, no, right? Yeah. So you have to write off the actual expenses. And one of those actual expenses can be oil change, tires, fuel, anything you're putting on that vehicle, keeping it running. So uh, you can write off 100%. That's all you need to know. And then uh, when can you write off mileage is if you have a personal car that you're using to, to do trucking business, like you go to get parts or driving around to to go meet with a licensing agency or with with the company that you work with and you want to reimburse miles then you could do on a personal vehicle but otherwise 100 of the expenses you would just track for your trunking company so i would just say yes and you write off 100 of the operating fuel costs yep. yes you can mm -hmm. all right again if you like this type of stuff and you're getting a little gist of what we got going on or you have lots of other questions and i see a lot of them that are popping in. Can a person be a trader without the MTM election? Yes, actually you can. You just can't, you just don't get the ordinary loss unless you make the mark to market. But like, there's so many questions popping in. They've already answered over 160. There's 18 already answered. If you like those, if you're just thinking, oh my gosh, there's so many other questions, go to the YouTube channel and start searching around. Chances are, since we've been doing this channel, I think since 2014, hundreds of videos on lots of different topics. And then 
if you have a topic that you want us to hit, just you know, subscribe and put it in one of the comments. Say, hey, could you hit on this? Because this is where we get our ideas is from you guys. Or just email in at Tax Tuesday at Anderson Advisors and say, I would really love to see a video on this. And I'll do a video on it because we want to create what you will find useful. So believe it or not. All right. I am the lender on a note to an LLC. What are the best practices for collecting payments and tracking interest payments for reporting purposes? Separate bank account for payments, create an end of the year interest statement for myself. What do I do? Yeah, you're gonna. I, I like the the separate bank account. <clears throat> Keep it separate from your personal. Obviously, I think you don't want to have an amortization schedule showing the payments, et cetera, the amount of interest. That, you know, um, and uh, yes, I would have an end of year interest statement if we're. Uh, I, I would do it anyway. I don't know that you really need to, but I would. I think it's just keeping it business. You don't. You don't need a separate yeah. bank account, and I don't think you actually. Like if this is a note to your LLC, for example, it's a related party, then if it's under 10,000 bucks, I don't think you have to charge interest. If it's more, you're going to have imputed interest. You want to make sure that there's a, a note and that if no money's going back and forth, at least you're imputing the interest to yourself. Maybe you pay that just that small amount, but you don't need a separate bank account. You do need to keep, a track, uh, keep track of the transaction. Excel spreadsheets work great. That's all you need. And then uh, if you don't, if you're like, if you're like, oh man, that's too much work, then go online and you can just do like a note calculator and put in the numbers. It'll give you the amortization schedule. Pay yeah, that. Any bank has it on there online. Yep. There's a way. Or if you're a platinum member, we have plenty of notes and we have all that stuff. We'll give it to you. Fun stuff. Somebody says, I attended your Las Vegas event. Time like we're actually doing really well time wise. Are we? Yeah. Yeah, you you don't you don't talk a lot, <laughs> right? Elliot's so quiet. I'm sitting here like, how far behind are we? Oh my God, we're actually on time. It's never, weird. Never miss an opportunity. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> never learned that one. Uh, and then Patty's like, perfecto. I'm having dinner with her kid, so that's great. So Patty, we will end early for you, just for you ahead of time. Really? Yep, I think so. Maybe. Uh, I attended your Las Vegas event. Please confirm if we're able to refrain from listing items. <laughs> I just love writing sometimes. Confirm if we are able to read. I don't know if, if we are. They didn't put able. I threw that in there. All right. Please confirm if we're to refrain from listing items as entertainment when filing taxes. I'm looking to convert from an LLCS to a C Corp in 2023. Should I stay on a calendar or fiscal year schedule? And what are the pros and cons? So let's break those into pieces. First off, we did do a Vegas event last month. It's been about a month. We have 500 and some people out here. It was a lot of fun. When we first said, hey, let's do a live event again, we thought maybe we'd get 50 people. And then it just, so we had a, we had limitation for space and we stopped at right around 500. But what a cool event. If you were there, thanks for coming out. If you weren't there, you should uh, come to one. Hopefully we'll do more because it's great to see people eyeball to eyeball and meet you and shake your hand or give you a fist bump if you're one of those. But uh, whatever the case, it was it was great. So while we were there, we went over a lot. Like we had four days of, of, of teaching, did a lot on tax. And they're probably referring to the Tax Cut and Jobs Act getting rid of entertainment. There is no deduction for entertainment, period. If you are getting a meal that is 
entertainment purposes, you cannot write it off. If I get a meal and it's business purpose, I can write it off. So here's the, the rule. Your business meals, they're business meals, not entertainment. You're not entertaining clients. You're trying to get business. And yeah, so marketing functions, if there's <laughs> yes. So yeah, you are to refrain from listing items as entertainment unless you don't want to write them off. Uh, intent was business left. Yep, of course it was. So that's number one. Yeah, entertainment went the way of the dinosaur under the Tox Cotton Jobs Act. Although you did get to write off 100% of meals last year. I'm not sure if that's true this year for 2023. I think it's back to 50%. I think, yeah, I think we got we lost it. Yeah, so you got to write off 100% of business meals for 2022. So if you're, you know, you're not, you haven't done your taxes, obviously, make sure you're tracking those. If it was at a restaurant or ordered from a restaurant, that's all that's required. So if you went on a business meal with somebody and you went to McDonald's or you went to Joel Rubicon, it doesn't matter. It's 100%. I'm looking to convert from an LLCS to a C Corp in 2023. So let me just put a timeout here. I'm assuming you mean an LLC taxed as an S corp and you want to revoke its status to a, to LLC tax as a C corp because you'd have to convert the actual state entity from an LLC to a corp. You'd probably do a reverse merger if that was the case, set up a new C corp and then transfer the LLC into it and then dissolve it. So I'm assuming you're keeping it as an LLC and converting it to a C, which is really easy to do. You're just going to revoke your S status. You have until March 15th, I think, to do that. For 2023, that's really easy. The bigger question is, should I change my calendar year or go from a fiscal year or go from a calendar year, which is calendar year is a fancy way of saying your tax year ends on December 31st, or should we pick some other year end like September? What do you think? I like the the fiscal year for a C-Corp because it, it, it tends to give you more flexibility especially when it comes to payroll items or contributing to, uh, say, solo 401ks or something like that. Yeah, and when Elliot says fiscal year, he means something other than 1231. So yep. typical fiscal years would be... Yeah, we got March, March 31st, June, uh, June 30th, and then September 30th. Yeah. yeah. And so you're just looking at when, when does my year end? And you don't really have to do anything special that first year. So let's say I revoke my S... S-Corps have to have a tax year, and that is 1231. Once I'm no longer an S-Corp, then I could literally file my tax return anytime during 2023 for, you know, for a period of time that ends during 2023. So I could just choose September. And what I would do is file my tax return after September saying my year ended on September, right? I don't think we actually have to do anything no. on 8832 or anything like that. So I just file it and, you know, and that's letting the IRS know your year end is now something other than December 31st. And then you would just continue to file uh, quarterlies there on after and file your annual return using that as your year end. And we actually ran into this quite a bit uh, in the last probably four weeks, especially we had a lot of tax planning for year end. And this was an issue with some of our clients, you know, Elliot shall be paid on this year or that year. And because they were on a fiscal year, we were able to, to give that flexibility. Yep. So that is that. I'm trying to think if there's any other pros and cons to the fiscal year end uh, versus using the calendar year end. It's really just shifting things one year. It is. Yeah. You, you get kind of a get out of jail so, card for the first year where you're like, hey, maybe I have a bunch of income that I'm going to pay into the corp. I 
close out the corpse year and then I pay it. So it's not in my year and it, I don't have to report it for another 14 months on the corp, you know, that type of thing, 15 months. Uh, um, just on the, you know, some clients though, they don't like to have, they get a little confused with the, the fiscal year end. And, and we understand that. And you certainly could go with it just a calendar year end if it makes your life a lot simpler. So that can be done if you it, wanted to. It moves your tax. Like your your tax return technically is due the 15th day of the, what, the fourth month or the third month following the end of the tax year. For C-Corp, it's going to fall just like an individual. So it'll be the fourth, the fourth month after the end of the tax year. 15th day, fourth month. Yeah. So if your year end is in September, then it would be October, January. November, it'll be January. Mm-hmm. So, and then you could file an extension. So you could still push it way out. And all you're doing is maybe spreading out your taxes so that it's not a big fire drill one time a year, like we're about to go through. Most accountants are starting to have nervous breakdowns thinking about tax (laughs) season. Like it's been hell for the last three years since they decided to pass huge legislation every few months during COVID. Mm -hmm. Like you have no idea what they did. They shut the IRS down and then they started passing legislation like it was going out of business. I think they were just trying to kill, kill off all the accountants because they gave them all stress cases. Yeah, you know? They're just throwing documents away. Thousands. Like they just did another one, the Secure Act 2.0. Here's 4,000 pages you guys need to know. I, I would just say also for this client who put this uh, question through, that S election revocation is what we have here, going from the S to the C. That is a very precise procedure. The IRS has it on their website. It says, what needs you have to send an actual letter to the the proper department, which will be where you've been uh, sending sent typically. Well, the directions will tell you where, um, but you have to specifically request it. You know the revocation, um, sign it, and then have that in. They have to receive it in the mail by March fifteenth, so you don't want to wait too long on that. Yep. All right. Somebody asked a good question in chat. I'm just going to repeat it. Is that Patty's going to make them put it into the Q and A? But it, it says uh, regarding business meals. So if you're self-managed, you, you do landlording outside of the proximity where your property is, like it's away from home. Anytime you're driving away from home, you can business meals. Yeah. So um, it's usually, it's not just for convenience. It's because it's a long ways away. I forget the exact test. Anytime I'm outside my geographical proximity and I'm running out, then even if I'm just getting a meal for myself, as long as it's at a restaurant, it's 100% deductible. Otherwise, I need to have a business purpose. So if I have, you're meeting with other landlords or investors, part of your business or your real estate agent or whatever, fill in the blank, your wholesaler, uh, you'd be able to write those off 100%. And just remember also that there's a little nuance here is that if it's under $75, technically you don't have to keep a receipt. You just st- you still have to have a record, which could be on your phone. Just go into your phone and say, "Hey, I met with Elliot at Starbucks, and we spent twenty three dollars on whatever the hell you drink." Elliot, like <laughs> we got it. Time with, you uh, caught me there. <laughs> he came sneaking up behind me. He caught me at Starbucks one time, and I had no idea who this crazy guy was behind me. <laughs> what did I do? I don't even want to know. Yeah, <laughs> let's just leave it at that. It depends on what you were drinking as to my conduct. If it was big, a venti, and it was like some frilly drink, then I would probably be like, what the hell? You know, you never do that. Uh, but you could go into Starbucks and spend a lot more than $23. Let's just say we did 23 bucks. Then uh, technically you don't have to keep the receipt. You still have to keep the who, what, where, when, and why. So who was it? Hey, it was Elliot. Where? Starbucks, you know, what do we spend? Why do we spend it? We we met to discuss a tax return, whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
So all that fun stuff. All right. That is about that. All right. Questions. They have answered over 200 questions while we were on, which wow. is pretty darn good for, uh, for, for, for Troy and Jared, Dana, Pio. Thank you for being on all you guys. Ian, Dutch. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's Dana. And uh, Patty's been chomping away in the chat. And then Andrew and Matthew are running things. Mm-hmm. But if you have questions during the weeks that pop up, just email us at taxtuesday at andersonadvisors.com. The general questions is really easy. Please answer my question. As I have no idea where your question is. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I am now looking up. There's about 50 questions that you're getting an answer to. Oh my God. That's it's, awesome. it's getting answered right now. Yeah, it's getting answered, but I'm like, it is quite literally half the page. I just love people sometimes. And then there's a follow-up, of course. Please address each point. <laughs> <sighs> We're going to have to have a chat, Naz. We're going to have a chat. All right. So you just email in. It might be easier. Some of you guys email in your volumes. Now, if if it's something very specific to you, again, we'll probably say you need to become a client. We can't just sit here and answer questions all day long for nothing. We like to answer general questions because they're general and they're fairly easy to answer. We can pop those things out. But if it requires research and there's liability on us, then you're going to have to be a client. But send it on in. We'll make sure that we get you a response if it's something that's uh, pretty straightforward. And then we do grab them. We do could to answer to that and please answer my questions. At least he's saying please. Oh. All right. Uh, we will answer your question, Naz, but be kind. These guys are doing this for nothing. Email us and we will get you response. And again, if it's something that's super, super complicated uh, or it's very specific to you, then we might have to make you be a, a client before we can answer. And we will make sure that we get you decent responses. And then we grab the questions every week. This week we grabbed, I think 11, usually I grabbed yep. 10, but uh, it looks like we're perfectly on time. Visit us at andersonadvisors.com. Grab one of the uh, free events. We're going to do a ton of them this year. I'm really active this year in infinity investing. I think that the economy is doing a, doing a little bit of a, f- it's, it's, it's doing a pivot as we speak, which means that they're done raising interest rates as fast as they have been. They're still going to keep doing it, but they're doing the best to smash our economy. Don't fight the Fed, but go where it's smart. And what you see right now is there's still really good cash flow real estate out there. Interest rates aren't bonkers. They're still pretty decent and there's still some good places to get it. Uh, They're still good investments and it's better than cash because inflation's eating cash as lunch. But don't sit on the sidelines hoping that things get better. Actually continue to do everything that you can to build up that investment portfolio so that you'll have success. Because guess what's going to happen? Slows down, it stops, and then they start lowering. And we know that's going to happen probably the next year. That's that's what they're saying. That's what the Fed is saying. So you know that when it starts to slow down, which is now it's doing, we always have this big breath. When they stop those interest rates, it's usually six months to nine months when you see the market start to catch fire again. So we're in that weird pivot phase where the, there are good deals. Don't be a one of those naysayers that just sits on the sideline and then then talks about how they missed an opportunity. Be putting your money into good investments because 
interest rates are just like gravity. All they're doing is forcing a little bit of weight onto people. Good companies can handle it. Bad companies can't. Good investments can handle it. Bad investments cannot. So you're going to see a lot of bad investments get squished and you're going to see a lot of really solid investments carrying that load. So be on the lookout for those great investments. They're out there, guys. There's absolutely. So 2023 should be a fun year for those of you who really love investing. And we'll do everything we can to help you keep more of your money in your pocket. Anything? No. Thanks for letting me have uh, some time here. All right. We'll see you next time at Tax Tuesday. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 